This is an encore presentation of a previously broadcast Full Circle program. Full Circle, yes, we roll. It's 360 degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. High, high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. High, high, Good evening, good people, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affair radio magazine produced by apprentices of the First Voice Media Action Program. On tonight's show, we'll celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with music, interviews, and stories. We'll be honoring him in our way, that is, the Full Circle way. On tonight's show, you'll hear some thoughts on the assassination of Dr. King. We'll hit the streets with one of the, one of the people... Um, they talk about whether his dream was being realized. Also, you'll hear a couple of beautiful poems um, by one of our resident poets. Finally, you'll learn about King and Nonviolence, a philosophy and mythology used to pursue peaceful strategies for solving personal and community problems. All that and much, much more. We're your hosts. I'm Bernard. And Neil. Please do not touch that dial. Okay, Neil, we're going to get right into it with um, a song that was written for this day. That's correct. Right? Stevie Wonder um, wrote this song, produced this song, and performed this song. Um, He was one of the main figures in the campaign uh, to get the birthday legalized back in 1981. Yes, 81. Ooh. Just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I was a baby in yes. 81. Yes, and I was fully grown, making, okay. out working, trying to make a, a living. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, he created this single uh, to get the cause known. This is Happy Birthday from Stevie Wonder to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Party on the day you came to be Happy birthday to you 
welcome back to Full Circle. And we're here at KPFA 94.1. And that song you just heard was Happy Birthday, which was written, produced, and performed by none other than our famous Stevie Wonder. Yep. Yep. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, when he was uh, really in front of the line, basically campaigning to uh, make Dr. King's birthday a legal holiday. That was 27 years ago, Neil. Yeah. 27 years ago for a lot of people that yeah. are a young audience. 27 years ago, a lot of people wasn't born. Yeah. I was a baby. I remember it very, very well. I was, uh, as I said, I was grown. And I couldn't believe that there was resistance to making Dr. King's uh, birthday um, a holiday, you know, after with all of these other holidays that we have with, oh, I'll just come on, out, come on out and say it, with all these white folks being honored, and we have one black man here we're trying to get honored who was not just speaking for just black people. He was speaking for everyone. Right. And I could not believe that it, there was resistance against it, well, which, which was ridiculous. Just totally ridiculous. That's the United States. That's the United States. That's how we do it. 27 years. Yeah, you're right. And that this brings is an us encore to, presentation uh, Dr. of a previously broadcast Full Circle program. Dr. Martin Luther King is known to the world and the history as a great civil rights leader, but his family knew him as just M.L. Now, editor Angela Ferris Watkins has brought her family together to celebrate his life and deeds in an intimate personal way. King's relatives, including his sister, nieces, and nephews, have contributed brief reflections, charming childhood stories, emotional, unguarded essays, and dozens of photographs from all stages of King's life. Archival material from King's late parents and brother round out this warm, loving, and delightful small-scale portrait of a man whose passion for justice and community to nonviolence and commitment to nonviolence changed the nation. Share this amazing family story with your own family. It's a hardcover book, 96 pages, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., A Family Portrait. Up next, in-house taxi man, Suleiman Sharif, selects a few words from um, I Have a Dream speech and follows that with some thoughts from his passengers uh, about himself and MLK.
What do you think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.? He was the man with the dream, man. He opened the door for us. When he said, I have a dream, do you think that dream is realized today? Yeah, yeah. It opened a lot of eyes, like us. It opened our eyes up so we can see more, understand more better. I want to thank him for him having a dream and him sharing his word. He was a good man. He wanted equality for all, and uh, he stood up to make a change. You have to stand up, and I mean, you have to be strong in numbers, too. I mean, you know, he changed this country forever, man. I mean, Martin Luther King started something that is going to keep going on for the rest of our lifetime, man. You know what I'm saying? It's just how life is. You need people like this in life, man. I think he is a great role model for not just African-Americans, for all Americans, and or not even just Americans. All people all over the world look up to him and see him as a kind of a role model. And yeah, find strength from the words that he spoke when he was alive. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he was a great thinker, very intelligent man, but he was also very strong in his faith. You don't hear that too much when you hear about him in the media. He used his intelligence to um, bridge stigmas, you know, so that people didn't just focus on the fact that he was religious, you know, because he wanted to reach a lot of people. Overall, I think what matters was the message he brings, and uh, you don't have to always bring change through violence. I see his dream come true in forms that maybe the society isn't ready to accept yet. Dr. Martin Luther King paved the way for people of minority, people of color. He's awesome. I mean, I think a lot of stuff wouldn't be how it is today if it wasn't for Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr. He's the man. He's a good leader. You know, I have a dream, man, you know, bringing us all races together and we still having a hard time, you know, finding that. Slow, it's coming along slow, but yeah, I see it, I see a change. Suleiman Sharif for Full Circle. Okay, we'd like to thank Suleiman for gathering those voices and getting out on the streets and getting some input from people out there to get their opinions. That was great. Thanks a lot, Suleiman. Now, um, now I guess we're going to have this piece uh, from uh, Angelina. Who is guess. another? I guess, yes. <laughs> I, I thought we'd just do a little, little talk about that piece, but uh, I guess for time's sake, we better go on ahead with the program. Um, and Angelina has a piece regarding uh, the assassination of Dr. King, and uh, let's listen to that right now. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4, 1968 at 6.01 p.m. at the age of 39. King had traveled to Memphis in support of striking African-American sanitation workers. The day before, when King traveled to Memphis, his airline flight was delayed by a bomb threat against his plane. With a thunderstorm raging outside, King delivered the last speech of his life, now known as the I've been to the mountaintop speech. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. King was struck by a single .30 bullet allegedly fired from a Remington 760 Game Master. 
The unconscious King was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital. He never regained consciousness and was pronounced dead at 7.05 p.m. Shortly after the shot was fired, witnesses saw James L. Ray fleeing from a rooming house across the street from the Lorraine Motel. A package was dumped close to the site that included a rifle and binoculars with Ray's fingerprints on them. A speech on the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. was given on that April 4, 1968, in Indianapolis by New York Senator Robert F. Kennedy, who was himself assassinated two months later. President Johnson, who was in the Oval Office planning a consultation in Hawaii with Vietnam military commanders, assigned Attorney General Ramsey Clark to investigate the assassination in Memphis. The FBI took responsibility for investigating King's death. J. Edgar Hoover, who had previously made efforts to undermine King's reputation, told Johnson that his agency would attempt to find the culprit or culprits. Two months after King's death, James L. Ray was captured in London Heathrow Airport while trying to leave the UK on a false passport and under a false name. Ray was quickly extradited to Tennessee and charged with King's murder, confessing to the assassination on March 10, 1969, although he recanted his confession three days later. Sentenced to a 99-year prison term, Ray spent the rest of his life attempting unsuccessfully to withdraw his guilty plea and secure the trial he never had. In 1997, Martin Luther King's son Dexter King met with Ray and publicly supported Ray's efforts to obtain a retrial. The King family and others believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was killed by a conspiracy involving the U.S. government and that James L. Ray was a scapegoat. This conclusion was confirmed by a jury in a 1999 civil trial conducted by the King family to consider the existence of an assassination conspiracy. The impending occupation of Washington, D.C. by the Poor People's Campaign in 1968, at the time of King's death, is suggested as a primary motive for a federal assassination. Reverend James Lawson also noted during the civil trial that King alienated President Johnson and other powerful government actors when he repudiated the Vietnam War on April 4, 1967, exactly one year before his assassination. The two separate ballistic tests conducted on the Remington Game Master, allegedly used by Ray in the assassination, did not match the bullet to the gun. Moreover, Witnesses surrounding King at the moment of the shooting say the shot was fired from a different location, not from the rooming house window. The jury, six blacks and six whites, found that King had been the victim of assassination by a conspiracy involving the Memphis police as well as federal agencies. The verdict affirmed Ray's innocence, which the King family had always maintained. Many documents pertaining to the FBI's investigation remain classified and are slated to remain secret until 2027. Free all political prisoners, even though a lot of y'all are lucky to be prisoners, because you know what happens to most people to step up. Damn right. Martin Luther King had more than a dream. He was out. 
for social change, and that's sort of a thing. Try to lead us to freedom, but before we were green, he got blown away. He seen a problem and thought that he had the answer proudly. And that's the reason that Huey started the Panther Party. Wasn't for Hoover, he'd be alive today. But he Smith was like a father to many. Was for the love, cause the brother wasn't offered a penny. He said the black man was guarding and costing him plenty. Was at the time when wasn't no police officers friendly. He birthed a 5% nation, called him the true and living. And just for that, you know, they whooped him and threw him in prison. Wasn't for them that he'd be with us today. He got blown away. Marvin Gaye wrote a song called What's Going On. The label said no, but he convinced them to go along. He spoke of Vietnam and this shit was going wrong. Trying to convince people that they need to keep holding on. He sang Mercy, Mercy Me. It felt like he was crying. He wanted to save the hood. They understood why he was trying. He took a stand and said what he had to say. He got blown away. Tupac Shakur was more than a rapper. More than an actor. It was more than a voice he was after. He tried to teach young black people a better way. He got blown To him. Abraham Lincoln was honest. He was a racist, but he did what he said when he promised. He freed slaves, of course he was going back. John F. Kennedy fought for the people. A white president that wanted to see all of us equal. At least that's what he said when running for office to be through. But then he won and he started doing more for the people. Assassin hit him with a bullet, the Taurus cerebral. I know a lot of y'all are thinking we want to believe you. Black people pray for JFK. Can't forget Peter Tosh. If Bob Marley was jigger than Tosh, should be now. Peter was Bob, right hand man, one hand wash. The other these brothers wanted more than to just be lost. Kill up on the guitars, but better up on the mic. Y'all remember that revolutionary shit he would write? Like, get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Bang. Social change and that sort of a thing. Try to lead us to freedom, but before we were green, he got blown away. He got blown away. Tupac Shakur was more than a rapper, more than an actor. It was more than awards he was after. Try to teach young black people a better way. He got blown away. Then there was Saigon. I bought you the greatest story. I know they watching me and I know that they waiting for me. I just pray that y'all hear what I had to say before I get blown away. That music you just heard was called Blown Away, and it's by Saigon. <laughs> and I'm blown away. Yes. The sad part about that song is it is all true. Yes. This nation is such a killing nation. Yeah, all the people they, they mentioned were assassinated yeah. or killed. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you stand up for anything, and okay, you got to go. Shoot. Kill. Okay, and the piece before that was was our done by our own in-house apprentice as well, and that's Angelina's piece. Angelina, thank you so very, very much. That was a very, very great piece. That was. Yes. It, it showed a whole new, a, a little light right. on a, where a lot of people didn't know right. what was going on right. and keeping people current to the information and that the family did do what they did. And the cover-up as well, and that cover-up is still going on to this day. So he was murdered. Well, you better believe it. Okay. You better okay. believe it. We've been honoring Dr. King 
uh, in many ways tonight through music. We've heard from the pub what the public thinks. Um, we've also heard Angelina's uh, assassinations, murder. <laughs> right. Um, but now it's time for my co-host. <laughs> my co-host. <laughs> Mr. Neo, Nocturnal Neo. Yes. Huh? Yes. You say that you um, thought of this, or you, this came from frustrations um, on how far we've come. Right. We've, we have come uh, a good distance, uh, and, but we still have a long ways to go. But yes, it, it was it was all. Yeah, because you was back there to remember all of that. And we'll I talk about it. it. We'll talk about it after your poem. Yes, we we'll will. We'll talk about it. We will. This poem was written by Neil. And the title is, Dr. King Did Not Deliver Us to This. Dr. King gave his life that each individual on this planet would have a better life. Sadly, the way many of you show your appreciation by not only disrespecting him and what he stood for, but you loathe yourself, others, and your higher power, too. Dr. King did not deliver us to this. Please explain to Dr. King. Tell him why you're calling each other Rastars or Hatas. Most do not even know the meaning of the word, and sadly, you don't even care. Fooling yourselves thinking you can take the word back and change it to a term of endearment. The word was never yours to take back, and you will never change that word to a term of endearment. You're merely fooling yourselves and creating mass, ignorant confusion all over the globe. Again, you will never change the meaning of that word. Not in the United States. The United States was built on bigotry and hate. And it's still among us to this day. Have you forgotten or did you know that in this country the word derived from and represents bigotry and hate? If you faced reality, you'd know that it still holds the same meaning, the same negative connotations to this day. Why? Why are you lying to yourselves? Surely you haven't accepted what you've been told. You can't believe that you're a lower order of human beings. Never buy into that crap and always beware of the traps. Dr. King did not deliver us to this. Rappers, surely Dr. King would like to know why. Why are you allowing Mr. Charlie to pay you to do what he knows would probably get him killed if he called? the wrong person in the tar, in the or a mother F, or a B-H, or a who. And you know what I'm saying 
is true. So you allow him to put money in hand, then you go out and stand firmly for him. You do his dirty work all over the land. Yes, you do it for him. And you do it at a faster pace and much more effectively than he ever imagined. You inject filth all over the world for him. You destroy the minds of the youth in your own village. You've sold your soul to him and he sits back while you fill his pockets to the brim, all the while laughing at you for being so damn ignorant. There's one thing you have not seen and you will not see nor hear. You will not see white rappers, Asians, Jewish, or any other group of rappers freely denigrate, disrespect themselves or their own group of people and certainly not on the world's stage. Oh, and by the way, it's probably safe to say or presume that you're not even aware that what you're doing is referred to as the work of Uncle Tom's. Dr. King did not deliver us to this. Somebody, please tell Dr. King why, why you're wearing your pants below your side for all the world to see, screaming, no dignity. In the blink of an eye, you're telling far too much about yourself. You instantly let everyone know that you have absolutely no class, no self-respect, and many other negative connotations about you. And your entire group of people are automatically lumped into the same category as you. Dr. King did not deliver us to this. Oh, and I'm sure that Dr. King is asking this question because I'm asking it too. And that is, what in hell is wrong with you? Killing each other at the drop of a dime, committing all kinds of stupid crime, prisons bursting at the seams. Each head count still fills Mr. Charlie's pockets. Why? Why are you giving your time, your life to him to live in a cage behind bars, keeping him rich at your expense? Why? Somebody, please tell us why. Yes, it's true. There are major odds against you. But why are you playing into his hand? Well, here's the bottom line. You've lost your damn minds doing exactly what Mr. Charlie wants of you. Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. may have been gone before you were born, but now, today, what you lack is very basic 
You have absolutely no self-respect, not to mention for anyone else or a higher power. He sacrificed his life so that each of us would have better lives. He did not deliver us to this. Dr. King did not deliver us to this. <laughs> well, thank you, Neo, my co-host. <laughs> he didn't deliver us to this. You're right. There's so much I can't believe. And then I, what? Who is Mr. Charlie? <laughs> that really shows that you're really young. <laughs> who is Mr. Charlie? Mr. Charlie is, is Mr. Mr. The Master, Mr. White Man. <laughs> oh, so now I know who Uncle Tom was, but Mr. Charlie, I was so Mr. Charlie is the White Man, okay? Because you just kept saying Mr. Charlie. Well, they called, they referred years ago. See, you, you, you I'll have to tell you later off the air what that really means. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Neo, for those provoking and my opening. Peace. You're so welcome. Now we have a piece that's coming up, and it's it's done by Schwanica. Schwanica recently sat down with a peace activist by the name of Kazu Haga, and it's from a Positive Warrior Network. It's PW. I'm sorry, PPWN, and the idea came sometime during the summer of 2011. The workshop started around January of last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it was basically, I guess, guess it sprouted from Occupy, and okay. specifically specifically Occupy Oakland was the main one. Okay. And PPWN is a national organization that does advocacy work around Kenyan North uh, Kenyan nonviolence, and I guess people are asking, what is Kenyan nonviolence? Right. So, what is Kenyan nonviolence? Oh, okay. The next piece will fill you in. It'll tell you what it's all about. I am sitting here with Mr. Kazu Haga, who is from an organization called the Positive Peace Warrior Network. Kazu, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the organization? The Positive Peace Warrior Network is an organization that's dedicated to creating a culture of peace through a training curriculum called Kingian Nonviolence. Kingian Nonviolence is a philosophy and, and a curriculum that was developed out of the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King and the organizing strategies of the Civil Rights Movement. It's viewed as Dr. King's final marching orders. The development of the curriculum grew out of a conversation that Dr. King had just hours before he died and uh, he had that conversation with a man by the name of Dr. Bernard Lafayette who at the time was the national coordinator of the Poor People's Campaign and the way Dr. Lafayette tells the story is that Dr. King had what he calls kind of a moment of revelation on that early morning and he said that the next step that their movement has to take is to institutionalize and internationalize nonviolence and Dr. Lafayette was never able to finish that conversation with King because of what happened the following morning and so Dr. Lafayette took that as King's final marching orders and spent years developing Developing this training curriculum with another man by the name of David Jensen and we've been using it around the country and other trainers have been using it around the world uh, since then. PPWN specifically we do a lot of work in some of the local county jails in the Bay Area and some of the state prisons as well as with youth groups and communities and, and high schools around the country as well. 
how do you exactly go about passing on the message? What do you do for the community in terms of spreading Kenyan nonviolence? Well, the, the trainings cover a lot of different topics. One of the main important things that we talk a lot about in our trainings is just the nature of conflict. Um, Dr. King really viewed conflict not as a good thing or a bad thing, but as a completely neutral thing. And it's how we respond to those conflicts that gives it a positive or negative outcome. So in our workshops, we've spent a lot of time talking about the different conflicts that we all deal with, um, recognizing that, uh, you know, no one can go through life without coming into contact with conflict, right? So we had, we spent a lot of time looking at uh, different approaches to conflict, the different types and levels to conflict, really studying and analyzing how conflict develops and how it escalates, how it turns into violence, but also how we can transform it into something positive. And we also view conflict, whether it's on an interpersonal level, if it's a conflict that I'm struggling between myself and a family member or a friend, or a smaller conflict that's something that's happening in my neighborhood, or larger social global conflicts like the conflict between the 1% and the 99% that it really all plays by the same rules. So if we can learn to respond to conflict in ways that brings about positive transformation, we feel that we can address issues both locally as well as globally. We go around the country talking to many, many different communities, whether it's prison inmates or professional uh, activists who've been um, doing activist work for many years, about how we can all transform our lives and transform our communities to get closer to the vision that Dr. King had. Now, there's a lot of conflict and power dynamics in a lot of progressive movements, what it does is that it deters from their cause. What would you say about that? Well, I think, um, you know, we always talk a lot about uh, nonviolence. And, and, and I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think that it's just a guide for the actions that we have on the streets. Like we have nonviolent direct action, nonviolent civil disobedience and the like. But we really feel that in order to transform society on a uh, long-term sustainable level, that we have to incorporate those values within our interactions with each other so that nonviolence doesn't just become a guide for our external actions, but also for our internal interactions that we have with each other. I think the relationships that we have with our own family members, as well as the relationships that we build within the movement are really important that we're looking at to look at and make sure that that we're not inflicting different forms of violence and different forms of oppression within each other, within our own movements, within our own uh, organizations. And I, and I really see that happen a lot. I've, I've been part of many campaigns and many movements where I feel like the conflicts within the movement hurt that movement just as much as any external force. And so I think if we're not able to learn to deal with the conflicts that we have within our own movements and within our organizations in a healthy way, then we're never going to be able to address the conflicts that we have with folks outside of the, our movements and outside of our organizations. So I think it really has to start with uh, really analyzing and looking at how we interact with each other within our own communities. And you guys also do a lot of work with youth and incarcerated folks. Can you talk about that? Sure. I think it's critical for any social movement to invest in our young people. First of all, there's never been a movement that has been successful without involvement and leadership from young people. And I think we need to recognize that whatever gains that we make in our generation, if we're not investing in training our young people, uh, those gains that we make may be lost by the next generation. So it's, it's really important that we are investing in young people and making sure that they're in leadership positions in all social movements. And I think, you know, a lot of people are surprised when they find out that we do a lot of nonviolence trainings with incarcerated communities. And I think it's actually really important that peace activists and nonviolent activists were, were making an effort to reach out to those people in the prisons and in the jail systems because, you know, who understands better the impact that violence has had on our communities and the folks inside the prison systems? It's a great place to go to, quote unquote, recruit peace activists because 
we oftentimes were very quick to label people that are incarcerated as just violent people and criminals and thugs and whatever it might be. But the reality is, is that, you know, all of us, whether we're incarcerated or not, have made mistakes that have harmed people, that have harmed people that we love. And I think we need to be able to look beyond those labels and, and look at these people as not just the sum of whatever crime that they might have committed to end up in that situation, but really look at the, the people that they care about in their communities that, you know, we, when we're in the prison systems, the men and the women inside talk so much about how much they want to be with their children and be with their families. And I think we need to honor that part of who they are and provide them the resources to make sure that when they get out, that they're having a positive influence on our community. So I think the work that happens in the jails and the, and the prisons are, it's some of the funnest work that we do and some of the most rewarding. And what message would you like to pass on as we honor Martin Luther King on his birthday? I think we like to think that as a nation, we honor Martin Luther King every every year on, on his birthday. But I actually think for the most part, we almost do him a disservice because we forget how much of a radical he really was. Sometimes we like to think of King as just some nice, passive guy that wanted all people to get along. And he obviously wanted all people to get along, but he was also not afraid of confronting injustice and really calling and demanding justice. And we forget that Dr. Martin Luther King, actually the night before he died in a public speech he was giving in Memphis, he was calling for people to take their money out of big banks and move them into local institutions. And he was organizing poor people from around the country to come down to Washington, D.C. to create an encampment and use civil disobedience to shut down the entire city. And so, you know, I think it's it's a wonderful thing that on Martin Luther King Day, communities come together and do things like neighborhood cleanup projects and picking up trash. But if that's all we think of when we think of King, I think we're really doing him a disservice. So I think uh, I would love to see us start to, to change the framing of how we honor Martin Luther King Day and change the Martin Luther King Day of service to one of a day of justice and really demanding justice for all of our communities. And how can people find out more about you? We are online, um, Positive Peace Warrior Network. So our website site is www.ppwn.org. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Positive Peace Warrior. Thank you so much, Kazu, for taking your time out and talking to us. That was Kazu Haga from the Positive Peace Warrior Network, an organization that introduces Kingian nonviolence to the community. This is Shwanika Narayan for Full Circle. Thank you so very, very much, Swanika. Swanika yeah, is nice. another one of our apprentices here. Yeah, he is. And that was a great job. It's great to also learn of, of different avenues that people are taking uh, to learn about the King legacy and, and, and how it's being implemented today. King and nonviolence. That's right. That is correct. Very good. Now, let's have another piece of music, and that's going to be uh, Will I Am and Common. There's and it's their shout out to Dr. King, I Have a Dream. Struggle is my address for pain and crack lists. Gunshots coming from sounds of blackness. Given this game with no time to practice. Born on a blacklist. 
episode, I'm below average. A life with no cabbage. That's no money if you're from where I'm from. Funny, I just want some of your sun. Dark clouds seem to follow me. Alcohol that my pop swallow bottle me. No apology, I walk with a bold on my shoulder. It's a cold war. I'm a colder soldier. Hold the same fight that made Martin Luther the king. I ain't using it for the right thing. In between lean and the fiends, hustle and the schemes. I put together pieces of a dream. I still have one. I got a dream. in the mirror images of me getting much clearer dear self i wrote a letter just to better my soul if i don't express it then forever i hold inside i'm from a side where we out of control rap music and the hood play the fatherly role my story Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA here in Berkeley that was i have a dream by will i am in common huh i enjoyed that Yeah, that was good. That was good. Now we're going to talk about my piece. And my piece sort of comes from an unsung hero, a sort of lost prophet, uh, a man that helped Martin Luther King Jr. get to where he is or was. Um, So, yeah, my piece comes from Brother Outsider. Uh, It's a DVD, uh, a film that's been introduced to millions of viewers around the world to the life and works of Byatt Rustin, a visionary strategist and activist who has been called the unknown hero of the civil rights movement, a disciple of Gandhi, a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., and the architect of the 1963 March on Washington. Also, Rustin dared to live as an openly gay man during the fiercely homophobic 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Let's take a listen to this piece. Rustin arrived in Montgomery, Alabama in February 1956 in the midst of Martin Luther King's campaign to end segregation on the city's buses. At 44, Rustin had organized numerous civil rights demonstrations in the South and had spent much of the last decade publicly advocating nonviolent protest. He would help King make these techniques the centerpiece of his movement strategy. It is my firm conviction that God is working in Montgomery. By the time the U.S. Supreme Court ruled segregation on the Montgomery buses unconstitutional, Rustin had become one of King's most trusted advisors and a highly influential strategist for the movement. In the course of the boycott, Rustin and King developed a very close working relationship, and it's Bayard Rustin who draws up the original plans for what becomes the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Between 1956 and 1960, Rustin very consciously strategizes how to give Martin Luther King a national profile as a leader. 
King has the opportunity to address a national audience and be catapulted into the media. Does you understand that that is a new Negro in the South? King owed much to his alliance with Rustin. But because Rustin was gay, it was an alliance that would also make his leadership vulnerable to attack. In 1960, Adam Clayton Powell, who was a congressman representing Harlem, gives a speech in upstate New York in which he says that the civil rights movement is in danger of being captured by subversives and by insidious secret influences. Well, he was referring to Bayard Rustin. Powell lets it be known to Martin Luther King that unless he dismisses Rustin, Powell threatens to reveal that King and Rustin were having a sexual affair. Now, there's not a shred of truth to it. There was no sexual affair. There was nothing being done that could have discredited the civil rights movement. The only thing that was being done was the threat of a lie by a rival black leader. Rustin offers King his resignation, and King accepts it. You know, Rustin was devastated and flabbergasted. I mean, he fully expected that King would stand by him, that King would call Powell's bluff, and instead King, in this particular instance, panicked and Rustin was pulled out of the loop of the civil rights movement for a number of years. It was one of the most difficult moments in Bayard Rustin's life. I know now that for me, sex must be sublimated if I am to live with myself and in this world longer. For the next three years, Rustin kept his distance from King. During that time, white opposition to the civil rights movement intensified and the South erupted in violence. Finally, in June of 1963, black leaders began planning a march on Washington to urge the federal government to intervene. Movement veterans once again turned to Rustin for help. In June of 1963, we had a closed-door, serious meeting about who was going to leave the march and who was going to be head of the March on Washington. A. Phil Randolph wanted by uh, to be the leader. And in the mind of, of Martin Luther King Jr. and myself, there was no one better prepared to lead and give direction and mobilize. Rustin was the person. But... Roy Wilkin, as head of the NACP, felt that Rustin couldn't be the person because it would be embarrassing to the march, embarrassing to the movement, because he was, he was gay. But we knew that if we selected A. Philip Randolph and give him the power to select his deputy, a selected person who would put the march in Washington together, he would select Rustin, and that's exactly what happened. Rustin had less than two months to organize what was expected to be the largest peaceful demonstration in American history. He took over a rundown office in Harlem and with a small staff set to work. Within days, he had raised over $15,000 to bring the poor to Washington, drafted a mission statement for the march, and designed a plan for security. He contracted with bus companies to transport the marchers, arranged for 1,000 beds to be made available to those arriving the night before, and even enlisted hundreds of 
volunteers to prepare bag lunches for those who had not brought their own food. Whenever Bayard was working on a major civil rights initiative, to some degree, he must have felt like a walking time bomb, wondering when something was going to happen. It is against the law for demonstrations to be held on Capitol ground. And just before the March on Washington, at a critical moment for the civil rights movement, Strom Thurmond, uh, a segregationist senator from South Carolina, stands up on the floor of the Senate and accuses Rustin of being a sex pervert and manages to have even the record of Rustin's arrest on a sex charge in Pasadena 10 years earlier. Now let me make it quite clear. The senator is not interested in me if I were a murderer, a thief, a liar, or a pervert. The senator is interested in attacking me because he is interested in destroying the movement. He offered just to sort of disappear, not to continue, but A. Philip Randolph wouldn't have any part of that, and none of us would. This man was committed to the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence. He had taught us the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence, and he was committed to the goals of the march. He was committed to the movement, and we had to stay with him. That was the defining moment, I think, in Bayard Rustin's political life, when the civil rights movement was forced by circumstance to defend him rather than dismiss him. Despite efforts to discredit Rustin, preparations for the march continued. And on August 28, 1963, a quarter of a million Americans gathered in Washington, demanding that Congress put an end to officially sanctioned racism. Uh, without Baird Rustin as the organizer, the march on Washington would have been like a bird uh, without wings. It was a sea of humanity. He had the ability to pull people together. He was able to reach out to hundreds and thousands of people all across America. Everybody from the NACP to the Protestant, Catholic, and Jews. He brought us all together. Where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. That afternoon, in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial, a parade of speakers offered words of inspiration to the crowd. Those spoken by Martin Luther King would be heard over and over again for decades to come. Bayard Rustin's would be all but forgotten. Because of the stigma that attached to homosexuality, most Americans have no idea who he was and what he accomplished. There's a way that Rustin is really a man without a history and in certain ways is a lost prophet of nonviolence. He was gay and we have not had the courage. We have not had what I call raw courage to honor a man because of his sexuality. Gays are beginning to realize what blacks learned long ago. Unless you are out here fighting for yourself, then nobody else will help you. I think the gay community has a moral obligation to continue the fight. Bayard Rustin. Welcome back, everyone. And you're—that was a great piece, Bernard. I, 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 so much I didn't know, and I, we just can't even talk about it. Exactly, we're crushing so much into exactly. this hour. But I love that piece. It's thank a great you. piece. Thank, thank you so you. very, very much. And I'd like to thank Alexander Book Company over in San Francisco for donating the book. That's right, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, tribute. Right. Uh, their website is alexanderbook.com. Correct. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, we also also want to talk about um, our apprentice. Uh, uh, the apprenticeship start, yeah. program that we have here. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to rush it all in. Exactly. <laughs> we, we're talking about the First Voice Media Intensive Radio Apprenticeship at KPFA right. for underrepresented communities. And it's, it, we, we do classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. This, you can be on the radio like me and my co-host, Neil. Um, check out kpfaapprentice.org uh, or call 510-848-6767, extension 235. So please, please. That brings us to the end of the show tonight. Tune in next week for Full Circle at 7 p.m. Our website is www.kpfaapprentice.org. You can also check us out. Uh, check out our archive show at www.kpfa.org. Right. We are now also on SoundCloud. Yay, SoundCloud. <laughs> so just go to SoundCloud and look for KPFA Apprentice, and we can get that done. It's, it's, K- it's full circle on kpfa.com. Full circle kpfa.com. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> find us on Okay. SoundCloud. We're rushing trying to get it all in, and, and you hear the music, we've got to go. So that's why we're rushing trying to get it in there. <laughs> okay. And uh, special thanks to our uh, production group, Angelina. Uh, um, uh, our, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks Thank you to everyone. everybody. And, our executive and, producer, Ms. Yes. M, our technical director, Frank Sterling Germore, <laughs> for production uh, consultant. Um, our intro music produced by uh, B. Tom. Andre, yes. our outro music. Go. Anyway, we um, <laughs> the next show is up is uh, La 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 Onda Bajita.